We'd like to welcome you to our current event in weekly Bible study for December 20th, 2009. And today, I got really tied up this week, and I'm going to uh, try to get through this study of just questions I've received from my listeners. And I figured if there's one person that might have a question about a given thing, there may be hundreds that may have had the same question in their mind. And this is just a small sampling of questions I've received over the last, I'd say, two to three months maybe. Um, There's quite a few. And this is just a small sampling. This is pretty much what I do every day. I field questions like this and I answer them to the best of my ability. Um, uh, Hopefully, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit that I get these the right answers to these people. Um, a lot of times I'll have a Word document that, that I can send their way. If you can't open something that I'm sending you, please understand I'm sending it in Word format, in DOC, DOC format, and if you don't can't open it, then um, you either need to get Word, um, at least like Word 2000, I believe, in 3, uh, or there's other programs that can open up Word documents, and um, I, I believe he's even some freeware that is up there that can open up Word documents. You can do internet searches for that, uh, because normally that's the problem if you can't open something that I send you. Uh, I can also send something in PDF format, but if you email me, then you're going to have to uh, designate that you need it in PDF format, and if I have it in that format, I'll send it to you. But um, it's, I try to get to everyone's question. There's a lot of times, though, when, you know, I've got laundry lists of questions. There's no way I can do it. I just don't have the time anymore um, to do this. When I'm trying to prepare for studies and things of this nature, uh, this tends to eat up all my time. And uh, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit there. This is a question. I'm kind of giving you the good, bad, and the ugly today. Different questions. Uh, this first question would be more on the ugly side, I guess. This is from Matthew. This was a comment to one of the teachings I did. It said, not so great a sermon. He says, Brother Johnson, if you see this, I would highly recommend you walking away from anything to do with this kind of stuff. In other words, the current events that I get into on a weekly basis, the exposing of either Maitreya or or whatever thing that we're getting into. Marking them, which caused division and offenses, just just get away from it all. He says it's a mind trap. There's no end to it. And most of what the people think is true is all based foundationally on lies and things made up by wacky people. So in other words, the things that I'm getting into, are there's no no truth to it, in, in other words. Uh, I also personally feel this is laying stumbling blocks for new believers. Um, it could also possibly take all the focus and instill fear, especially the insane amount of information that's on the internet. Now, I'm not saying there's not an insane amount of information on the internet, okay? But what I try to do is distill that information down and present it in a biblical format in light of the Bible, in light of the end times that we're living in. I'm going to get more into that in a second. He goes on to say, it's just another ploy of Satan to divert attention away from the gospel. Now, I get this a lot. Where not a lot, but I've got it a lot from preachers who say, "Preach the gospel. That's all you you need to do. You don't. You shouldn't be doing worrying about anything else other than preaching the gospel. That's all you need to do." And typically, I'll tell them, "Thank you for defining 
and mandating to me what my calling is in the Lord. Because all I've ever claimed to be is a watchman. Now, I've done a whole series on salvation, and I always try to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, His finished work on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, His shed blood for the salvation of our souls. I always try to point people to that, ultimately. It's in the headers to virtually every newsletter I put out. It's, I embed that those gospel messages always in that um, whenever I send out things. So I have a heavy emphasis on that as well. But not all of us have the same calling. The Bible says, you know, can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need of you. In other words, in the body of Christ, there's many parts. And not all parts have the same function. And there's very few people, particularly within the 501c3 uh, corporate church of America, that are doing this, or doing it in a biblical manner, I should say. Uh, there's so many agendas out there, and things of this nature. Not to say I'm Mr perfect example of, of, of everything biblical. I'm, I'm not saying that whatsoever. But this is my calling to do this as a watchman to warn people. Now, this was my response. I says, it seems you are totally missing the point of why I put out teachings like this. I'm not trying to indoctrinate and get people into this information, but warning them of the coming deception that will be the earmark of the end times so that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge uh, that we're um, not taken by Satan's devices, unawares, things of this nature. You could quote verse after verse, which I've done in the past. Uh, I go on to say, I have so many people that email me thanking me for these types of studies as the churches are virtually doing nothing to warn their congregations of the coming deceptions. They're doing the exact opposite, in fact. They're saying everything's going to be great. And we're uh, some of them, particularly ones that are into dominionism, are saying that, we're going to make things so wonderful that Christ is going to have no choice but to come back. He's going to be so happy with what's going on in the church that he's coming back. Oh yeah, there's, there's a Christ that's coming back. You better believe it. But it's going to be the Antichrist. And there's going to be many Antichrists, as Jesus said. So um, there's going to be a lot of people that fall for that hook, line, and sinker because they haven't been warned. And they're that I, I say the churches are doing nothing, virtually nothing, to warn their congregations of the coming deceptions, lying signs and wonders, false miracles, that the Bible clearly predicts. Just some verses to emphasize this. Matthew 24, 24, which is the verse I just was in reference to. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, this is Jesus Christ talking, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now you have to ask yourself the question, is it possible for you to be deceived, even if you're saved? Of course it is. It's possible for us to be deceived every day on a daily basis. In fact, I learn new things every day almost, just from researching where I was maybe deceived on a certain level or that. So the thing is, the, the whole point is, is never getting to the point where you think, I've got it all figured out. Nobody can tell me anything because I'm holier than thou which is where a lot of people get, unfortunately. They think that they've got, you know, everything figured out. You can't tell me nothing. And I know... Then they go around and tell people, like this guy, what their calling should be. There's a lot... This is why the Bible talks about there's evangelists, 
there's preachers, there, there's pastors, evangelists, you know, bishops, deacons, teachers. There's different callings, different offices. We're not all cookie cutter. If everybody was doing the same thing, we really wouldn't get a whole lot accomplished because there would be need for the others, the other offices out there as well. First Chronicles 12.32 says, And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200, and all their, all their brethren were at their commandment. So, the Bible commends when you are of an understanding nature of the times. It says, these were men that, were, uh, that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. Unless you understand a situation or something that you're facing, you're not going to really know what to do. So what I'm trying to impart is understanding of these situations, not only of the Word of God, relating the Word of God to current events and these types of issues, um, but that we would just know how to handle these situations um, and be forewarned. Acts 20.31 Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone day, night and day with tears. Okay, so I think we should read this whole verse in context. The Paul talking here in the book of Acts, the New Testament. He says in verse 28, Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. See, this is what we should be expecting. We should be expecting for grievous wolves to enter in that will not spare the flock. Uh, many times what happens is, is it's grievous wolves that enter in, but what are they? They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're hirelings that have no true love for the sheep because the true shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. But hirelings are in it for the money because they're doing it for the hire. They're grievous wolves. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They enter in and they don't, they're not going to spare the flock. You have to understand, in today's day and age, that's pretty much the norm. Whether they're aware of it or not. If you've got a preacher up there that doesn't have a backbone that's, that's involved in some corporate church that has is compromised and not even going by the word of God you have somebody there that you know maybe they're not even fully aware of what they're doing but the fact remains is is they're leading people astray and this is what we should be expecting particularly in the end times that we're living in it says verse 30 also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. This is why I always say, don't follow me, don't follow Scott Johnson, follow the word of God. Because the Bible's very clear, I mean, it, it, so many uh, ministers out there, not all, but so many ministers, you know, they have their own little agenda, and they have their own little thing that they're trying to uh, push. And it says that they, they're, they're going to arise, it says, also of your own selves. So people that actually arise within a, a movement may be somebody that you trusted. But again, this is what we should be expecting. 
Also of your own selves, men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. See, if you can get somebody to believe in your own little pet doctrine, you're, you're, and it's called another gospel, well, then you can draw disciples away. This is how cults get started. This is why there's so many cults out there. There's so many branches of even different cults. Because you've got, okay, um, this guy, he was in the Mormon church, and he took a more hardline stance on one of the other false Mormon doctrines. He pulled people. He drew disciples away after him, even though they were already deceived. But now it's even more you know, perverse, most likely. That's just an example, though. And then the um, verse 31, which is what I already had said, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. What was he doing for three years? He warned, he, the primary thing it sounds like he was doing is warning them day and night with tears? Sounds like it was a pretty important thing to Paul to warn people. But in today's day, flippant, you know, day and age, in, in the lukewarm, milquetoast church that we've got, particularly in America, the 501c3 corporate whore that's yoked itself up with the government and has to, you know, go by IRS regulations lest they lose their tax exemption and the people can't write it off on their taxes. I thought the Bible said that when you give alms, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Is that our reason and motivation for giving? so that we can write it off on our taxes? I would say when you stand before God, he's going to see, say, just like he did in the Bible, verily, you have your reward. If you give large amounts in churches, they know what you're giving. What's your motivation? I'm not saying, I'm not speaking for everyone, okay? But a lot of people, their motivation is to be seen among men. Just like the Bible talks about in that portion of scripture. You give to be seen among men, verily, you have your reward. And, but when you give, you should, in as much as possible, it's not always possible, but when you give, it's best to give um, at least in some type of private manner where you're not drawing attention to yourself. Because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to lose your reward either. You know, and that's a great way to, to lose your heavenly reward is by giving to be seen among men. And then also if your reward is so that I can write it off on my taxes, <laughs> I mean, come on. How is, where's the Bible for that? I just don't see any whatsoever. I don't see any Bible for the church yoking up with the government and becoming a corporation and having its pastor as the CEO and the board of directors as the deacons. And if, they don't, and if you don't have it designated that way, the IRS will be kind enough to do it for you. Uh, a good website is Unregistered Baptist Fellowship. Unregistered Baptist Fellowship. They've got a great website specifically on churches coming out of this 501c3 corporate trap. And again, I'm not trying to condemn every pastor out there. There may be many good pastors out there that really, truly weren't aware. They went to the seminary, they were told to do it this way, and now they're trapped. And it's not easy to get out of this trap. I'm, I'm just telling you right now, but it can be done. But it's going to take a lot of effort. It's better that if you have a ministry just to never get in the trap. And then you don't have to worry about that. So, uh, anyway, that's the, that's the one verse there. I, I think that warning was, was a very important thing to Paul. Then let's look at a couple other verses here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Watch ye, 
Stand fast in the faith. Quit like men. Be strong. Quit means behave. Behave like a man if you're a man. Be strong. Men, for the most part, are becoming so feminized. And some of it does have to do with all the female xenoestrogens, the female producing hormones, like what they call xenoestrogens, that are in so many of the products that we consume. You drink water or things out of plastic containers with that little one on the bottom, the little recyclable with the one in it, you're getting tons of xenoestrogens. Uh, many hair care products, deodorants, things like that, they have prop and meth. Whenever you see prop or meth, these are xenoestrogens. You're getting tons of these, and it's feminizing the men. And the men don't have backbones. Many of them don't have backbones anymore. Um... I'm not condemning my listeners. I'm just saying in general. I've seen this, witnessed it, and, um, you know, it's, it's all playing of the devil. It's all playing of the devil. Feminize the men. Get them weak. You know, they're not going to be proper heads of the house anymore. They're not going to take any kind of real stand on issues like that because, you know, they're all messed up in the head from just their hormonal standpoint alone. That's just one thing. It's not the only thing. But it says, watch ye. Okay? So we're supposed to be watching. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So we're not supposed to just be sleeping and ignoring all of these, the world's falling, you know, imploding. We're not just supposed to ignore all of that. We're not supposed to sleep. Uh, not only that, but when times really get tough, if you've warned people, those peop same people are going to remember that at some point, and then they're going to remember that and come back to you, and then at that point, you're going to have most likely a tremendous opportunity to lead them to the Lord. You see where I'm going with this? The fruit may not be apparent right this second, okay? So if, if you're up on a lot of this... Uh, things that we warn about on a weekly basis. The studying and the fruit may not be apparent right this second. In other words, when you plant a seed, do you go out the next day to get the harvest? No. The seed has to grow, and then it produces fruit later. Many times, some, if you're educated on a certain issue, and then times get tough and this thing starts to manifest and you've warned other people, those same people are going to come back to you, and you're going to have a tremendous opportunity at that point to actually educate them on the truth. You're going to, be, you're going to look like you're the only one that really knew what was going on all along. So that's another thing to think about. Um, Ephesians 5.11-16 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is, it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. Now, I have a comment. In other words, we don't need to get into the gory details of their actual sin done in secret. But at the same time, we are commanded in the previous and the following verses to reprove and to make manifest their wicked actions. So, in other words, you don't get into the gory details, but you do point out that there's, there's sin going on here, and we're supposed to reprove it manifest. Now, the word reprove... In the, in the King James, the way it was rendered, uh, 1828 Noah Webster defines that word, and I use the 1828 Noah Webster because it more accurately defines the words in the King James and the time era they were written. 
The word reprove means to blame, to convince a fault, or to make it manifest. If you make it manifest, you expose it. You put light on it. Uh, manifest means plain open, clearly visible to the eye, or obvious to the understanding, apparent, not obscure. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and then going further, it says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Well, light always exposes darkness. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Uh, light always overcomes and exposes darkness. Then it goes on to say, wherefore he saith, awaketh thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. So we're supposed to awake from our sleep. If you're caught in some 501c3 corporate institution and you've been warming a pew for 20 years and this is the first time you've ever heard about any of this, you're supposed to wake up today. If you never wake up, that's a really bad thing. I wouldn't want to be in that those particular shoes. Why? Because 2 Thessalonians says that God, regarding the end times, regarding around the same time the Antichrist is going to be revealed, regarding the same time there's going to be a falling away of the church, again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible says, for God shall send them strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth. If you're deluded and you're deceived and you're content being that way, then you may fall into the classification of 1 Timothy 4.1 where it says, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, this is the latter times, right? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, you have to understand, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are the norm. That's the norm in the modern day church. It's not the exception. It's the norm. They're reading false Bible versions. They got, you know, every Bible version on the planet, other than the King James. They're a 501c3 corporation, yoked up with the government. They've got all kind of worldly programs going on in the church. You could go on and on and on about all the ways the devil has come in and infiltrated the church. So it's the norm. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So if you're to that point where you're just in a church and you don't care and it doesn't matter what you're shown, you may be there. And, you know, salvation is something that's, that's, that's between you and the Lord. That's, you know, but if you're there and you've embraced strong delusion and you have no real desire to leave, you know, it's not a good situation to be in, okay? And I'm not saying that because I think I'm better or that I want anyone to go to hell. But the fact remains is that the Bible says, narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. The reason I have this ministry is not so that we can get all thrilled with the end time current events, so that people will get their eyes open, so that we will be prepared for the future, and that we can ultimately help others and guide them to the truth, so ultimately they'll get saved. And ultimately the, the Lord Jesus Christ will then be glorified. So, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. When you awake and you arise from the dead, Christ shall give thee light. Ask and, sh and ye shall receive. 
Okay, so this is something you can you can ask for light. You can ask for wisdom. Really, you know a way to get all that? Ask for the fear of God. Why? Because the fear of God is prerequisite to all that. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of knowledge. And it also implies protection. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. So, if you want to get all that stuff, pray for fear of God. That was one of the first things the Lord ever showed me. With fear of God comes all of these other blessings. And if you do a keyword study for it, in the, even in the book of Psalms and Proverbs, there's no other thing that I see in the Bible that's connected with more blessings than fear of God. Fear of God also breeds humility before God and before your fellow man. Because if you fear God, you're going to be humble before him. And you tend to be humble before others. Um, so anyway... Let's go further. Second, oh no, hold on. I need to finish that verse. Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. Now circumspectly means, I'm defining it from the Noah Webster 1828, cautiously, with watchfulness every way, with attention to guard against surprise or danger. Well, again, that's why I have this ministry. You know, so we, we're not taken unaware. So we can walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Second Corinthians 2.11 Lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. Ezekiel 33.6 But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned if the sword come and take any person from among them he is taken away in his iniquity but his blood will I require at the watchman's hands. So fear of God also motivates me because of I, that's all I call myself is a watchman. That's you know, First Timothy. Oh, we already said that verse. First Timothy four one about having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So um, now one of the main ways, if you want to get your conscience seared with a hot iron, just get real apathetic and at the same time get proud, which is what most people are in America in particular, whether they're in the church or not. They're apathetic. They could care less as long as it's not affecting them. And they're proud. And I don't mean like proud of your kids or proud of your country. I mean pride. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. All the stuff that has happened here with this Tiger Woods thing, I look at him and that's what I, that's the verse that comes into my head. Arrogance, pride, at the top of the sports world, voted most unbelievable sportsman in the last 10 years, voted golfer of the year, all this other stuff. But look at him. Arrogant, pride, it, it, you know. It's the worst thing that can happen to you. It's one of, listed as one of the seven deadly sins. Pride blinds you. One of the reasons it's worse than other sins, if you have somebody that's a murderer, he knows he's a murderer. If you have somebody that's a thief, he knows he's a thief. But somebody that's proud doesn't see it. Why? Because the pride blinds him. It's the first sin, if you think about it, recorded in the Bible. Why? Because Satan was where the first sin was actually ever committed. I mean, you can go to the Garden of Eden. This was, I believe, before that. And what ends up happening is, because the Bible says because of his beauty and his merchandise, those two things it lists in Ezekiel, Satan was lifted up. And when he got lifted up, that was pride. What did he want to do? He wanted to be like the Most High. 
He wanted to usurp God's position. That's really pride. I mean, if you're that deluded, where you think you're going to take God off his throne, well, pride blinded Satan, and it does, it's no different to any of us. And the remedy for pride is humility and fear of God. So, anyway, I just wanted to go over that. Uh, had a question from a lady that said, Scott, can you look at the study and give me your discernment on the subject? On the subject. Okay, so she writes me, she says, I want you to know, I want to know what you think of this. I have my discernment and my ideas, but I want to know how you feel about whether the person who wrote this has rightly divided the word. This is a study someone did on the spirit. I think this is the, in reference to our human spirit. And this is what they're teaching. I'm not agreeing with this, but this is what the teaching says. Those who practice New Age uh, teachings don't feel deceived. They believe they're saved. They believe we're the ones who are deceived. And in actuality, there's truth in that assumption also because most Christians have not explored the true potential of their faith by examining what they believe the actual truth to be. Unfortunately, lies have been... intentionally, very meticulously inserted into the Christian belief system, and those lies deactivate the power of the Holy Spirit, which cannot fully operate within you unless you believe the whole truth. Now again, this is one of those people that are desiring to draw disciples away after themselves. Okay, this is a this what we're talking about here is a doctrine of devils. It's a seducing spirit. Here's how this works. These people are demon infested most of the time. They get their own little pet doctrine, which a lot of times a devil could literally have led them to, and they get they park on that one little doctrine. They park on this one little thing in the Bible that they turn into this big, gigantic issue that, that only they've been shown. I, I cannot tell you how many times I encounter this in this ministry. And it's exasperating to deal with these types of questions over and over and over again. Because you get these people that email you, and they've been shown something by God nobody else on the planet has ever been shown. Or only very, very few. And what... The feeling you get when you come away from these types of things is they're the only ones going to heaven on the planet. Because they're the only ones that have been shown this. Well, I guess there's only, you know, four or five people on the planet going to heaven. And this is why it's very important that you understand what salvation's based on. Because we can turn it into a whole bunch of other things and get way away from what the gospel says, the clear message of the gospel, and get into all these little pet doctrines that then all of a sudden salvation hinges upon all the time. And what does it do? It's going to destroy the faith of many, particularly if they buy into it. Talk about laying a stumbling block before your brother, which is what we're talking about here. So let me continue with this. Uh, The process of being sanctified through the Spirit, capital S, has been completely overlooked by Christians who assume their beliefs are accurate without examining those beliefs before they believe them. Christians have overlooked the process and because they have the new age movement because they have the new age movement ha- the new age movement then has us eating out of their hands. If you believe you possess a human spirit, you are not wearing the full armor of God. So she said all that, this woman said all that to say this. I remember she was a woman that said this. 
not not like I'm coming against women. I'm just saying she. Wrote, I believe she wrote this. If you believe, then you possess a human spirit. You are not wearing the full armor of God. Huh. Okay. Then it says, in fact, you're standing in your underwear. The first time I heard anyone speak of the human spirit was on the Oprah show. As I was listening to the show, I began talking back to the television. I remember saying, that's a lie. Human beings don't have a spirit of their own. Just then I heard a crash. So I went downstairs to my family room to investigate what made the noise. Two pictures on either side of the television fell off the wall and were on the floor. Apparently Satan didn't like this lie being exposed. Oh boy. And this is what happens when you go by lying signs and wonders. Satan will meet you at your knee. <laughs> he will. I mean, you talk to the people that go and see uh, the Lady of Medjugorje or whatever. The Lady of Fatima and all these false apparitions and devils and demons that manifest to these Catholics. I saw one the other day. Somebody emailed me. It was this one from an Orthodox Coptic church. Mary making this thing. And it was this light that was in the outline of a woman that would be like you would think of Mary with like a dress it was this white almost blinding light and it was on top of this church and it was big it was like a life size light and it was just there for now maybe it was a total hoax but it didn't look like it was I watched the thing for a couple minutes you know my impression is big deal my God made the universe I could care less. But see, you have to understand, the Bible says that the way the devil, the way the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to deceive all those on the earth is through the lying signs and wonders and miracles. People are going to get healed. People are going to have all these miracles happening to them. It's the very way that people are going to be deceived. So it's the last thing you want to go by. I'm not saying the Lord Jesus Christ can't heal, but... Everybody, they got the, the cart before the horse. Everybody's seeking these miracles. And the Bible says, Jesus said, that a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. He said that emphatically. So it's not the primary thing we need to be, and it's not the primary thing that we need to be basing doctrine on as well. Because when these apparitions manifest, what a lot of times they'll do is they'll speak all this stuff, and it's totally contradictory to the Bible, but the Catholics don't care because they're in, they're in it for the experience. Anyway, let's go further. Uh, then she goes on to say, I'm sure he knew that one day, Satan, uh, I would be exposing this lie to many people. He obviously wasn't happening. Uh, okay, so here's my response. So she's saying there's no such thing as that we don't have a spirit. We, we, that's all a lie, okay? And she has this, this understanding that no one else has. And again, this is why it's so important what Bible you're reading. Because they've got Bibles now you can't even get saved out of. Like I heard that one, the inclusive version, where they refer to Jesus as the one. Well, the Bible says there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved, and it's Jesus Christ. Well, if you refer to him as the one, how are you going to get saved? So in other words, the word's getting so watered down that in uh, many Bible versions, it's just not even going to be possible. If you go by the King James Bible, which is like the gold standard in the English, it's the Bible for today in the English version. I'm not knocking the underlying Greek and Hebrew, okay? I'm not in the Ruckman camp, okay, in that regard. Because a lot of times people say, oh, you're a Ruckman. No, I'm not. 
I'm not a Ruckmanite. I'm not, and that would be what they would call the King James only movement, which actually forbids going even back into the Greek and the Hebrew at all, and saying that the Greek and the Hebrew are actually inferior to the King James Bible. I'm not saying that. I never said that. I'm not saying a Texas Receptus is inferior to the King James Bible or the majority text of the Byzantine or the Hebrew Mesorite. I'm not saying that at all. Okay, so I'm, I'm not in that camp, just so you know. Uh, I would, if as close as I could say, I would align myself with Dr. D.A. Waite, King James um, Authority, who's been doing this for 60 plus years, defending the King James Bible but at the same time not trashing the underlying Greek and Hebrew. Okay? So, anyway, clear that up. Here's my response to her, um, the lady that wrote me. Lynn, this report below, even without, even without biblical refutation, is very weak. This is a great example of how cults get started. This heresy was easy to refute, refute with a quick keyword search in the King James Bible. The Lord convicted me to do a simple keyword search where the words soul and spirit occur in the Bible together. So in other words, body, soul, spirit, three-part being, okay? Well, in Isaiah 42.1 and um, Matthew 12.18, below are the speaking of the Father's prophecies of sending His Jesus Christ, His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And um, Notice the Father God acknowledges the fact that He has a soul and a spirit, and since we are created in His image, we do as well. And all the other verses below confirm this fact. So if we look at Matthew 42.1, it says, Behold, my spirit whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. This is Father God essentially talking here. Behold, my spirit, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul, he's acknowledging he has a soul, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Okay? There's the one. Matthew 12, 18. Behold, my spirit, my, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment on uh, judgment unto the Gentiles. Uh, this is speaking of fa the Father, Father God's prophecy to send His Son Jesus Christ into the world. Okay, so we have that as an example. We also have First Samuel one fifteen, and I just gave you a little bit here. Uh, and Hannah answered and said, "No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink." And Hannah was, you know, a good Bible believing. God-fearing woman, okay? I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. She's acknowledging she has a soul and a spirit. Job 7.11, Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Here's another verse. Here's another one. Isaiah 26.9, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. Okay, so there's another. And these are, these are from uh, godly people we're talking about here. This is not like something a pagan uttered. Okay, then 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
right there it says it okay and the very god of peace sanctify you holy and i pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the lord jesus christ hebrew 4 12 for the word of god is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart how many more verses would you need but see, people get off on these little pet cult doctrines to draw after them disciples like that last verse, that verse that I had quoted before because they want to have their own little cult. They want to draw people away. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They want to have their own little, you know, fan club. I, don't, I truly don't desire that. I really don't. Um, and none of us need to desire that. We need to point everyone to the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. That's it. That's it. Okay, so um, if you start getting that feeling like I'm really smart and I've got everything figured out, you need to really get on your knees and beg God to forgive you and pray for, for the fear of God and humility. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm the gold standard. Okay. By any stretch of the imagination, I've said this before, if I got what I deserved, I'd get death in hell. Okay, But praise the Lord Jesus Christ for his mercy and grace and for his sacrifice on the cross, his finished work on the cross for our salvation. So, anyway, that was pretty easy to refute. Now, you can do the same thing I just did. You have somebody who says that, well, there's no such thing, we don't have a spirit. Well, just do a keyword search. Go up to blueletterbible.com, I believe it's blueletterbible.com, they got a, uh, you could search all the versions, but I only searched the King James. And it comes up, and there's all these little little tab things on the side you can go and click in, and, and uh, sometimes there's commentaries. And I, I mean, I'm not a big one on commentaries, but sometimes you can get a nugget out of there that you might not have been thinking of. The Lord can use that. Um, you can go and, and um, you can explore the words and different things and, and what the the underlying Hebrew and Greek, and again, I'd be cautioning you about doing a lot of that, but um, sometimes it's useful to look at the word it was derived from. Anyway, uh, so let's go to the next question. Let's see here. Um, okay. My mom sent me the link, this link, and it really hurt me. And it was this Codex Sinaiticus. <laughs> Okay, so what it is, is a, is a link that this was a big thing recently that came out where they've got the Codex Sinaiticus on display and they're, they're putting it around the world and all the stuff and they're saying, it's the oldest Bible text, therefore it's the best. The Codex Sinaiticus, okay. You know how it got its name? It was found in a trash can at the base of Mount Sinai in a monastery a Catholic monastery, in a trash can. Even the corrupt monks that were there didn't want anything to do with it. It's called the Sinaiticus because it was found at the base of Mount Sinai. I have seen a whole documentary on this monastery. It is one of the most sickest, macabre places you'll ever see. They've literally got a whole room of dead monk bones chained to the walls they're, they're dead monks that live there and they're chained to the walls in their skeletonized forms and they're there to, I guess, guard against and ward away evil spirits. Kind of, you know, kind of a neat thing. 
I was thinking about having that as a motif for where I'm at, you know, kind of a little skull, dead bone thing, you know. What's 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 the harm, you know? I mean, we're supposed to seek death and, 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 and be wrapped up in all that garbage, right? I mean, I've seen literally whole Catholic churches where I, I was sent one the other day by a... Um, a listener, and I've seen this church before, and they've literally got the skulls cemented into the archways. They've got every type of human bone. It's literally the motif in what is literally embedded into the architecture of this church. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies, most likely martyrs from the Spanish Inquisition. Now, I may be wrong, but I would almost guarantee you they were martyrs. Talk about a cursed I mean, but that's, that's the, the Catholic religion for you. I wrote to her, I said, the only reason it is allegedly considered the oldest Bible, this Sinaiticus, is because it was so corrupted, no one, not even the corrupt Catholic Church at the time, would even touch it. Think about it. If you had something that was really corrupt, and everybody knew about it, you think a lot of people would mess with it? No, they'd leave it alone. Well, guess what happens when you leave something alone? It's going to last a lot longer than a book you're using all the time, right? Well, that's why we don't have a lot or any of the original autographs like that where the I'm talking going all the way back to Jesus Christ day, okay? That the um, Textus Receptus, the majority text, and the Byzantine text, the underlying text of the King James, the reason we don't have that is because they were so used by the early church that they were used up. Just because something's the oldest doesn't mean it's better. The, the, not even the Catholic Church would corrupt this until two high-level occultists named Westcott and Hort decided to use it as their basis for their revised version of 1881, which spawned all the corrupt ver- almost all the corrupt versions we have today. Westcott and Hort, in 1881, released the Revised Version. What did they use as the underlying text? They used the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus. The Vaticanus was found in the Vatican. The Sinaiticus was found in a trash can at the base of Mount Sinai in this corrupt monastery. Okay? They were deemed as the older and oldest manuscripts because nobody had touched them because they were so corrupt. Most likely. Doesn't mean they were better. In fact, they contradicted each other in so many thousands of places that Westcott and Hort said, well, whenever they contradict one another, we're just going to go ahead and use the Vaticanus. We're going to have the Vaticanus take preeminence over the Sinaiticus because there's so many contradictions. You have to understand, if you have an NIV or an American Standard Version, which is the Catholic Bible, or a New World Translation, which is the Jehovah Witness Bible, or any of these other, pretty much any of these other false versions, if you have that as your Bible, that is the underlying text of your Bible, because the revised version of 1881 that Westcott and Hort put out, Westcott and Hort also were two high-level occultists. They had the, this club called the Ghostly Guild. I'm not making this up. They really did. They had this club called the Ghostly Guild, where they would get together with people like Charles Darwin and have seances. Charles Darwin, the guy that started evolution, and other wicked, wicked people. They had the club, uh, Hermes Club, too. The Hermes Club. Hermes is uh, the messenger god of death, I believe. God of the Underworld, Hermes. They had that club too. These were the people that came out with the 1881 version, revised version, that spawned 
virtually all the modern day versions that we have today in existence now. Now, the Bible says, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3. Well, if you have a corrupt foundation, how are you going to, how can something clean come out of something unclean? The Bible poses that exact question in the book of Job. Can something clean come out of something unclean? And then it says, no, it can't. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what it says. I mean, if you have something corrupt, how is it going to yield something good? Well, it can't. How can a fountain yield both fresh and salt water? So, understand, I believe there's literally spirits associated with these false versions. And this is a big reason why the church is in the shape that it's in today. When all we had was the King James Version in, in the churches, we had, you know, revivals and all kind of things going on. And then when these false versions came out, it seemed like the church started getting real lukewarm and they started yoking themselves up with the government. All this worldly stuff came in and then it was like the whole church was so apathetic. Well, maybe the foundation for all that is they had a corrupted word of God that they brought in and it leavened everything because the Bible says leaven and Jesus referred to leaven as bad doctrine. It's also used as a type of sin. But Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is their doctrine. Well, if you have a whole Bible that's been leavened, it's bad doctrine. The NIV has over 64,000 verses, 64,000 words removed compared to the KJV. 64,000, almost 10% of the total text. It's kind of a weird reverse tithe, isn't that? You know, Where do those words go? Were they tithing them to God or, or the devil? What is the primary method that Satan has always used, or, and, and he started in the Garden of Eden, what does he always do? Question God's word, try to take away from it or twist it. Why? Because he said to Eve, he said, Yea, hath God said, he questioned God's word. Try to get her on that. He's doing the same thing with the modern day perversions that we've got available to us everywhere. And they keep coming out with more. It never ends. There's literally hundreds of versions. Where does it end? Well, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. Can they all be equally as valid? The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Well, does God have, like, every time they come out with a new copywritten version, oh, I didn't get into that aspect, copywritten. See, the King James Bible, um, on almost virtually every spot of, of, of the planet, except for, I believe, maybe England, it's not copywritten. In other words, you can copy and do whatever you want. All these other versions, they come out with copyrights. Why do you think they're coming out with them? Well, not only is Satan motivating all this, but they make more money. Because every time they come out with a new version, they get more people to buy it. The love of money is the root of all evil. You see how you could just keep going down this subject and keep exposing it more and more? So, anyway, I, that's that was my, my response to her. Um, uh, just because something's the oldest doesn't mean it's the best. So, let's go to the next question. This is from Ryan. And he said, Hi there, Scott. I was listening to your Twilight series sermon, at least part one of it, when you said something about goths. That's what I gotta laugh about. Okay, he says, I'm not a fan of Twilight, but I am a goth. Now, if everybody doesn't know what a goth is, that's these people that dress up in black and get their face put their face really morbidly white. They want to look as much like death. Kind of like, it's like if you wanted to look like death in a soda cracker, or death warmed over, two of my favorite expressions. 
Uh, if you want it to look like that, that's kind of the look you're going after, you know. The whole black bleaching, the not bleaching, but doing the opposite. Dyeing the hair black, wearing all black, putting your face pasty white, black lipstick, black eyeliner, the whole nine yards. I mean, it's a, it's a really neat look. I mean, I don't I never went there, but anyways, just kidding. Um, anyway, he's a goth, he says, and then he says, how you were saying how I'm in love with Azrael, the angel of death. Now, listen, I didn't make that exact statement. I love how people put words in my mouth. I never said, because you're a goth, you're absolutely in love with Azrael, the angel of death. Okay? If you are a goth, it's undeniable, though, that you are kind of obsessed with death. Do you know what, like, the, the ideal thing for a goth to have, like, the, the, the crown jewel for a goth to possess materially? It is a... Um, what are those called? Um, yeah, the, the funeral uh, cars or whatever. Hearse. And o- the older, the better. Because the older, the more creepier. I mean, they, as, the, as you go back in years, like they get creepier and creepier looking. You know? But if, if you're a goth, like the, the crown jewel for you to ever possess is like a hearse and the older, the better. I've seen them driving around my own hometown. Driving around, you know, blacked out and driving a hearse and... You know, um, anyway, Azrael, the angel of death, for your information, Azrael is never spoken of or mentioned in the Bible. I never said he was. And then he is, however, spoken of and mentioned in Islam and mystic, Jewish mysticism. So explain that, please. Also, do you know any Goths personally? Met any of them besides me, of course. Just because I don't know somebody personally doesn't mean that I have to meet them to understand exactly what their doctrine is. I mean, it's real obvious from what I have studied regarding the Goths, what they represent and what they like and what they do. Okay, I don't have to absolutely meet every one of them. I don't have to meet a serial killer if I know his background to know if he's a great guy or not. You know, I'm sorry, but that doesn't really hold water either. And then he says, by the way, are you familiar with Bats Day in the fun park? It's held every year for 10 years now or so at Disneyland in Anaheim. It's basically Disneyland's own unofficial goth day. LOL. I'd love, I'd love to go someday. Well, see ya. That's what he says to me. Okay. So, anyway. Um, yeah, I, you know, I was going to take Taylor to Bat's day. I, I admit it. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm weak. I'm, I, I wanted to go to Bat's day. It's, it's, we could dress up like goths and, Kind of frolic through Anaheim in the Disneyland. No, just kidding, teasing. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, here was my response to him. Ephesians 5.8. I, I, I try, if I can, if it's possible, and sometimes it's not, you know, if they're asking a specific question about a specific thing, but particularly if I get into a debate with somebody, I try to give them what the Word of God says, not my opinion. Because I can come out and start hashing my opinion, and it, everybody's got an opinion, you know, but does it line up with the Word of God? So, Ephesians 5.8. Okay, so as we as believers, this is what's in reference to. For ye were sometimes in darkness. Now, everything about the Goths, or this twilight movement, or these vampires that people are so incredibly obsessed with, everything about all of that garbage is darkness. Okay? The Bible says, for ye were sometimes in darkness... But now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
We're not supposed to walk as children of darkness. How, do, how, how are you, as a born-again Christian, well, I'm a born-again Christian, but I'm also a practicing heavy-duty goth, driving a hearse around or whatever. You know, the Bible says you, got, you can't bow the knee to Baal and the, and the knee to God. You've got to choose whom this day, who you're going to serve. Uh, Colossians 1.13, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? See, we've been, we're, as born-again Christians, we're delivered from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. 1 Peter 2.9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, if you have this obsession as a born-again Christian and you can't help it, you just want to be in darkness, and all, you need to see if you're seriously saved because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. These are things that you should be manifesting. And if, you're, and if you are living in darkness and God's not doing anything to you and you're just getting away with it, well, most likely you're not saved. Why? Because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, and if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. A bastard is an illegitimate son. So if you're not getting spanked by God, which is the chastisement, if you're doing wickedness and evil, then you're most likely you're not even saved. Okay, these are some salvation self-checks. Okay, Not the only ones, but they are some things that you could think about. 1 John 1.6 If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So you can say all day long that, well, I've, I've got a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, this and that. But if you're walking in darkness, then you're a liar. You know, Particularly if you won't even acknowledge that you're walking in darkness. That's even worse. So then I go on to say, how can you walk as a child of light and be a goth? That was my first question. I don't ever recall making a blanket statement that all Goths are in love with Azrael. But most Goths are very much preoccupied with death. That's a fact. I mean, let's be realistic. The black clothes, the black makeup, the pale morbid faces, the skin tone, uh, the obsession with morbid, demonic rock music like Marilyn Manson, who is one of the most vile devils that have ever walked the planet. He does things that are so unspeakable, I couldn't even think about getting into it on a teaching. These are devils, these are people that are so wicked and so evil. Now again, if it's possible they be saved, I pray to God that be the case. But the Bible says that the wicked go astray from the womb, that they speak lies as soon as they be born. There are people, and I believe the Bible refers to them as tares, the wheat and the tares. If you're a tare, if you're a weed, how do you make yourself a good wheat. I don't see how it's done. If you were born that way, literally, if you are, as the Bible says in Hebrews, if you were a vessel of wrath fitted for God's destruction, that means that you are a vessel of God's wrath that was prepared, fitted means prepared, for God's destruction. I don't understand that. You could say, well, it's not fair. I don't want to serve a God like that. That's fine. You know, It's not my rule book. It's God's rule book. He makes the rules. If you're saved, just praise the Lord Jesus Christ that you are saved. Okay, But there's a lot of people that are actually appointed to this. And I don't want to get into a Calvinism 
that kind of debate. I'm just saying, I'm telling you what the Bible says. I did a whole study on this when I talked about these indigo children and these crystal children and dolphin children. Just key in indigo, or children, in the keyword search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio under Scott A. Johnson or Sermon Audio forward slash Dr. Dr. Scott Johnson. And just do a keyword search for part of the word, and you'll, you'll see it. I, got, I have a whole hour study on this subject, on, you know, the wicked. Not because I think I'm better, or because I'm so happy they're going to hell, or anything like that, but you know, the Bible is very clear on this issue. But again, it's not something that you're ever going to hardly ever hear about. Oh no, God's a God of love, everybody's going to heaven. The man upstairs, the big guy in the sky, would never do that to you. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. And he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. So we don't want to trust in our own heart. And I'm not sit, sit here to tell you who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, but the Bible is clear. Um... Uh, regarding wicked people. Um, and I'm not saying there haven't been wicked people that have been saved either. Okay, uh, I was one of them. Okay? But there's a different classification evidently uh, where some are actually vessels of wrath fitted for God's destruction. And again, the Bible's very clear. So anyway, I, 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 point, I pose the question. Let's be realistic. The black clothes, the black makeup, the pale morbid faces... And skin tone, obsession with demonic rock music like Marilyn Manson. Uh, the whole fact that the most prized vehicle for a goth to own is a hearse. The older the better. There is um, a whole cult, many I'm sure are goths, who have a whole religion devoted to the angel of death, Azrael. I See, I know a lot about Azrael. Okay? And if you've listened to my teaching on supernatural experiences... Just key in the word supernatural in the keyword search box on my homepage. You'll hear about my encounter with the angel of death, Azrael, or what I thought to be that. Yeah, yeah, you heard what I just said. Because I believe I actually encountered this thing. And one word vanquished him, and it was Jesus. Okay, if you want to hear the whole testimony, just key in that, because I don't want to go down that rabbit trail too much. Anyway, there's whole cults devoted to this angel of death. And I even give the website. Now, if you, I strongly encourage you, I'm not even going to say, say this website over air. If you ever want to go to it, just be aware, it's incredibly morbid. Not a lot of super inappropriate stuff, like, but it's so morbid what this cult, how obsessed with death that they are. These ones that literally worship Azrael. And I would guarantee you many of them are Goths because it's very compatible with the Goth religion. And yes, you heard me say religion because it's, it's essentially a religion. Anyway, um, how is it possible for a Goth to adhere to the Bible verses below? I pose him this question. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Abstain from all appearance of evil. How do you be a Goth and do that? You know? How is that possible? Uh, Romans, oh, they, or you could say, well, I was just trying to reach other Goths with the gospel of Christ, so I became one. You know, I get, I've heard that a lot, the Pentecostals are, are really good at that. I had a friend in the Pentecostal movement, and turned out he was a sodomite, and he was 
watching gay male pornography and all this other garbage he was into. And was into cocaine and had all these piercings and I'm talking all over his body and I believe he ended up getting tattoos and he just looked like a scroungy, you know, grunge type of person. And he always justified it by saying, well, I'm here to reach those same people that I look like. It's like what Jay Baker does, Jim Baker's son. He's got tattoos all over him. He looks like a total lowlife. And he's totally empathetic and sympathetic to the whole gay movement. And uh, he justifies that, you know, by, well, I'm reaching them for Christ. When Jesus walked the earth, People would say, well, yeah, because Jesus hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors and this or that. Okay, when Jesus reached those people, he would many times eat with them or be around them, but he never participated in their sin, ever. It wasn't like he was going, you know, to, um, you know, getting drunk or whatever these other people were doing at the time or participating in their sin. In fact, it was the exact opposite. His very presence, and you can look in the Bible to tell this, his very presence convicted them of their own sin. But he never participated in the sin. That's the big difference. So that doesn't wash with God, but acting and looking like a devil in order to, to say, well, I'm reaching him for Christ. No, you know, a lot of people do that. And I won't have anything to do with this guy. He still tries to to email me and stuff like that, tries to, you know, like, um, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with him. I've told him, too. I've told him on numerous occasions. He's literally, he goes on these missionary trips to Africa, and he's, he's got the audacity to email me because he's trying to raise support to go to Africa, to witness, to, you know, do this or do that. I'm not going to give a dime to his ministry that is so leavened and so corrupted, and I have never seen him make one uh, effort at all to repent of any of the wickedness he's involved with. Maybe he's repentant of some of it. I don't know. But I've never seen it. Um, the Bible says a heretic after the second and third admonition reject. And I'm sorry, but as far as I'm concerned, he's a heretic. He's, he's, he's believing another gospel. He's believing, oh, I can go and live like the devil and sin like whatever and God's the big guy in the sky and it's okay. I'm not saying I'm not going to judge his salvation because that's between him and God, but, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I, the, the fruit that I'm seeing from him does not line up with the Bible. Um, the Bible Jesus said to judge righteous judgment. You know, then I get into the, oh, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, go to that verse. That is when you have a beam in your own eye and you're judging the speck in your brothers. First pull out the beam in your own eye, then you can judge. Then it's okay. The Bible says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. I mean, we've got all kind of examples. Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and Sadducees. He called them serpents, vipers. White and sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Well, Jesus Christ was judging the Pharisees and Sadducees. How dare he? Well, you'd never say that. Well, the Bible's clear. It's full of judgment. Paul said, um, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil and has resisted our words. The Lord reward him according to his works. But he also said, Demas hath forsaken me 
for this present day world. And there's other places where this was said also. I mean, how if you have, if Paul ceased not to warn them day and night for the space of three years, both day and night with tears against these grievous wolves coming in that will not spare the flock, how could you not judge and do that at the same time? You have to. You have to mark them, as the Bible says, which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Proverbs, or, I'm sorry, Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. How do you mark them and not judge? There's so many verses that you would have, you know, if, if, if you were to say you can't judge anything, well, yeah, okay, just get in your car and, and, and blow through every stop sign and blow through every red light and see how far you get. Well, I don't want to judge. See how crazy that argument becomes when you don't rightly divert, divide the word of truth? The Bible says, The studies show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 We have to do this. We have to do it to live in everyday life. So, what you don't want to do is judge hypocritically. Well, I'm holier than thou. Come not nigh thee. Come, come not nigh, my, nigh me. Because I'm better than thee. I'm more holier than thee. Oh, boy. God loves that. Oh, yeah. He, oh, you really want to bring God's uh, anger down on you? Start acting like that. Start thinking you're better than everyone else. That's when you don't judge, okay, other people. Because you need to look at yourself first. You've got, you got a finger pointing at somebody and four fingers pointing back at yourself. Okay, uh, let's go further. Uh, again, this is my question to him. I say, Goths are obsessed with darkness. I, I, I tell him this. Uh, Luke eleven thirty four. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when, the, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body is also full of darkness. A goth is a great example of a body being full of darkness. I mean, they can't even stop the manifestation of it. All you have to do is look at them and know that their whole body is full of darkness. There's another verse, uh, the next verse, Luke 11.35. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. This is something we're to take, we're to take heed of, we're to take stock of. Make sure that the light that's within you actually isn't darkness. That's why the Bible says to examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Um, the Bible also says if we would judge ourselves, this is New Testament, we would not be judged. That, I tell you what, that verse is very comforting to me. Because if we judge ourselves, but see, if you're full of pride and you're full of wickedness and your conscience has been seared with a hot iron, you're not going to judge yourself. You're not going to even be able to confess your own sin because you don't see it as sin anymore. You can get to that point. And when you're to that point, I do believe there's a line you cross with God and uh, He's not going to bear with you forever. He's not going to just give you infinite amounts of chances if you're not saved and you keep spurring God and, and just you know doing your own thing and being obstinate and stubborn and um, rejecting Him and doing it your own way. There's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit withdraws himself. There's a lot of people, old-time accounts of people that were um, saved, or, or they said, well, I'm just going to wait until I'm on my deathbed to get saved. And they got to their deathbed, and they couldn't, they couldn't accept 
the Lord Jesus Christ. It was too late. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has to be there to draw you. The Holy Spirit has to be the one that does the work of salvation within you. And if the Holy Spirit's not there, you can't get saved. You just don't get saved whenever you want to get saved. That's why you, you don't, if you have the opportunity and you have the conviction, you better not put it off because there's no guarantee you may not live another day or another minute. I, I've heard story after story like that. People on their deathbed wanted to get saved, but they, and, the, and, they, and they even told the preacher, I want to get, get saved, I want to go to heaven, but I can't. It's not there. I got no conviction. It's gone. That's scary. But see, now they drug people up so much, at least in America, they get them into Hope Hospice and they so heavily medicate them, they don't have these types of experiences where they're on their deathbed and they know they're going to hell. And many, many times in these old time accounts, they've actually literally seen the angel of death coming to get them in the spirit world. Their eyes were opened up right before they were taken to hell. And they saw that angel of death coming up. And they couldn't do anything about it because they couldn't get saved. Jesus was not there, or the Holy Spirit was not there. That is scary. That is, to me, the essence of the fear of God, to a certain extent. That's really scary. Ooh. Anyway, um, Acts 26.18 says, To open their eyes, and this is one of our mandates as a Christian, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. What, why would a goth be caught in darkness if he was really saved? And from the power of Satan unto God, and, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Meaning Jesus, you know, reference to Jesus Christ. Sanctified by faith. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified means to be made holy and set apart for God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're sanctified by faith in me. Our faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us. That's the basis of salvation. Now, I'm simplifying it there, and I've done a whole teaching on salvation that gets into that in depth. But praise the Lord uh, for that. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? If you're a goth and you say you're a born-again Christian, how in the world can you even justify being around the other goth people that openly are satanic? We're not supposed to be yoked up together with unbelievers. Ephesians 5.11 And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're not supposed to have fellowship. If you're a goth, how do you not have fellowship with it? I mean, you, the, the very essence of what you look like is, is darkness, and you're having fellowship with it, you know? It's not like a pet little sin you can hide, if you think about it. It's really not. I mean, if you're really going after it, if you're a goth, it's not like you can hide it. Well, I'm kind of a closet goth. I just dress up in the privacy of my own home and do that. Well, okay. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and end uh, part one here, and we'll go to part two next. God bless you.